Hello, and welcome to the Nonprofit Radio Show, a podcast with tips and tools for small nonprofits. If you feel in the dark about how to run a nonprofit, sunshine is on its way. I'm Nancy Bacon, and I'm joined by Sarah Brooks. Oh, and before you get going any further, Nancy, I'm going to interrupt you because today I'm breaking the rules. You go, girl. What are we talking about here? (laughs) Well, I think today we should talk about nonprofits and rules, because I think we have some kind of weird relationships with rules. I think you're absolutely right. I think on one hand, nonprofit people are do-gooders, that we're always following the rules or what we think the rules are. Right. So like I think about advocacy and how many nonprofits don't engage in advocacy because they don't want to break the rules. Totally, right? It's like, oh, I'm a nonprofit. I can't do that. I hear that all the time. Exactly. But then, but take another situation. Like you're having a fundraising event and you want to have all this alcohol that got donated by a local winery. There's rules on that. (laughs) You can't, you're going to break them. And you're probably going to say, I'm a nonprofit. I'm doing good work. I don't need to follow the rules, right? Right, exactly. So, and we certainly won't discuss whether any of us have been involved in breaking any such rules ever, but I do think we should talk today about things like rules and how to know when it's okay to break them and when ethically or legally you just can't. So you do have to follow the liquor laws, it turns out, and you do have to follow your bylaws and a whole bunch of other ethical lines. But there are also these things in the nonprofit world that have become rules, like you should do this or a best practice is that. And we hold them as if they're some sort of secret sauce that if we just do these things, then goodness will happen. And I think sometimes those rules need to be broken. They absolutely do. And I mean, I think about where are these rules even coming from? And I know some of them are coming from the, you know, the law, but, you know, there seem to be two sources of rules. There's just authority that says you have to do something or maybe some long ago expert who said something and we just do it because we're you know, we're good doobies. We do what we're told. Yeah. But then there's other rules that bubble up from the grassroots. So they're the wisdom of practitioners. And that's kind of a different kind of rule. And so I think as we dig into this, we're going to discern, you know, what's a just from on high rule versus a bubble up from below rule. Right. And hopefully our listeners will get a sense for how you might know when it's okay to break a rule and what you need to kind of fill in that gap in between. So let's just take a couple examples, Nancy. One rule I hear all the time is that um, my board meeting must be run by Robert's Rules of Order. What do we think about that? Oh, my God. Robert's Rules of Order. So I recently inherited from my mother-in-law the actual book of Robert's Rules of Order. And it's an ancient book that almost cracks when you open it. And it turns out that Robert's Rules of Orders were published in 1876. That's a long time ago. (laughs) That was a really long time ago. Named after a U.S. Army officer, Henry Martin Robert, who adapted the rules and practices of Congress to the needs of non-legislative societies. You know, I was recently in the San Juan Islands here in Washington, and I found out that actually Mr. Robert or Lieutenant Colonel Robert was based in the San Juan Islands. Oh, I didn't know that. Real historic fact, huh. but also to tell you how old these things are. <laughs> and, you know, so I've done a lot of board training in my years, and so many folks come to me and say, do I have to use, do we have to use Robert's Rules of Order? And I remember doing that in one community, and a woman piped up and said, I prefer Roberta's Rules of Orders. And uh, I looked that one up, and 
the tagline is, who is Robert and why do we need to still follow his rules anyway? Well, right. And, you know, part of the problem with Robert's rules of orders for many nonprofit organizations, not for all, it certainly works for some, but for some, it feels very exclusive and formal. Like there is this right way to do it. And if you aren't educated in that right way, then you're another and you're an outsider. And that leads to distancing and not participating, which we know are things we want to avoid in our board meetings. We would like people to feel engaged and welcome and that their thoughts and perspectives are making the mission better. And so I always think the formality of it just doesn't fit the culture of many nonprofit organizations. I think it would be really interesting as you think about Robert's Rules of Order to kind of back up, like, why do they exist? And they're really there to help people organize themselves, Totally, help people get work done. And it can be fun to be that inner anthropologist and look at how different groups have gotten work done. I recently read about the circle way where you actually sit in a circle and you you come together around your practice in order to form a consensus. I know I spent four years at a Quaker institution learning about consensus and how it really brings that sense of unification around a solution that's very different from a majority vote. Absolutely. And I think what you're saying, Nancy, which is which is what I think is the heart and core of this rule is that and I'm, I'm using air quotes that you can't see, <laughs> but this rule is based on efficient and productive meetings, right? That result in decisions and, and action, which is what we all want. But instead of just saying, well, this is the formula, we take the book off the shelf, we use it, even though it might feel funny. I think it's really important to say, well, what do we do instead? And I think the most important thing for an organization to do, for a board to do, is to just have an honest conversation about what are our norms and culture? What do we as a board want and need to feel like we're moving toward our mission together? Perhaps that is consensus-based. For other organizations, it might be majority-based and Robert's rules of orders might work great. But you have to actually talk about it, own it, name it, and be clear about it, and then decide what your norms are. Absolutely. So what's another another rule that we want to talk about? Well, again, if you let me use my air quotes on the radio, <laughs> um, I, I think there's a, a series of rules that come from best practices that that term gets used all the time, that there's one right way to do it. I, I always try to stop myself with best practices because it assumes that someone has decided what works best in all situations. I think in the real world, context is what matters most. There are things that work well and perhaps best in certain circumstances and things that work terribly in other circumstances. So what's best some of the time might not be best all of the time. And when I think about that, the one that comes to my mind in in the world that I work in is this, I don't even know where it comes from, rule that has always said that you have to have seven contacts with someone before you can ask them for money. Have you heard that one before? I have heard that. And I think it's really interesting because you think about, I mean, do you actually count this? Like, do you have a database where you're counting? Right. And then the little flag pops up and it's like, you can ask Nancy for money now. (laughs) No. it, It just reminds me of a rule that I know. And that is that anything with a number attached to it is probably made up. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, right? Because what we do in the nonprofit world is work with human beings. 
And we're all really different. It's hard to come up with hard and fast rules for humans, right? But okay, so let's look at this seven contexts. I think the deep intent is not bad, right? The deep intent is that you really shouldn't expect someone to just give if you haven't built some kind of relationship with them based on shared values. But saying it takes seven contexts is kind of misleading because for some of your donors, it might take only one or two. Like the shared values might become absolutely clear and they might wonder why you haven't asked or invited them in or asked them to be a part of your movement. And for other donors, it might take 12 or 14 contexts before they've had all their questions answered. So this notion that there's some you know, average magic number that you have to hit. I mean, I've actually, I've actually had organizations ask me, but, but we've only made six contacts. Like I can't send our appeal letter yet. We have to send something else out first. And I just think that that's a a missed opportunity to understand the intent, which is, have you built a relationship? And do you understand that your donors are different? They're not all the same. The other number rule that drives me nuts is that 20% overhead rule, <laughs> which is so not a rule. That is another thing that I realize it comes probably out of the IRS Form 990 and that, you know, it has historically been determined by funders and whatever. We're moving away from that as a nonprofit philanthropic community. And it just defeats the whole idea of what is, quote, overhead versus what is actually your work. And if you're so focused, I mean, the the point is to do your mission and to move your mission forward. And whatever core funding you need, core expenses you need to move your mission forward is important to your mission. Totally. Well, and one of the things that's so frustrating, we could probably do a whole episode on this one, (laughs) but one of the things that's so frustrating about the overhead rule is that it's as if there's this bright line, right? That nonprofits who are over that rule are bad and not run well. And nonprofits that are under that rule are good and run well. And that's just not true empirically, just not true. And part of that is because there's no clear definition of what counts as overhead, right? So you've got some rule followers who put everything that isn't literally serving a client as overhead and other organizations who decide that, well, you, you, know, you couldn't possibly do what we do without having that office space. So we wouldn't count that as overhead. It's program space. You know, and there's no definition. So we're comparing, it's not even apples to oranges. It's like we're comparing apples to, you know, alligators. (laughs) It's just not the same thing when we look at it across the board. And even if you could get to the place where you were looking at the same thing and comparing the same things, small scale organizations will always have a higher percentage of overhead because our our overall budgets are small. (laughs) So that that denominator in the math equation is never going to let us get down to 4% overhead. It's just just not possible. Exactly right. And so let's go behind this. Let's look under the hood and like, what does this mean? And and really the, the whole point of overhead is to encourage nonprofits to think about their mission over their personal gain. And we've all heard the people who say, you know, my nonprofit and how quickly can I get a salary and how much does the executive director earn? And, you know, that's a really small narrative within the nonprofit sector. So as we think about this, it really is about having excellent financial oversight so that your board knows your financials, you know where your money is going and that your mission is at the center of that. 
that your board is representative of your community so that you know that those core operating expenses are being allocated well, and that you measure the difference you make based on the difference you're making, not on the percentage of your overhead. So don't go around telling the story that 100% of our money goes to programs or our overhead is X. Tell the story of your impact. Absolutely. Right? We're organizations that work in the public trust. And it's important that we have some way to show the public that we're being responsible with the funds that we receive, but it doesn't have to be a hard and fast 20% rule. Mm -hmm, For sure. So as I think about these examples that we've gone through, just a few rules, (laughs) I think there are a few things to keep in mind as, as you face some rule thrown at your organization and you think, I don't know if that's the right one for us to follow. So first off, if you're going to break a rule, make sure you know what the rule is and identify what its deeper intent is. Unpack it a little and be like, "Hmm, why does this rule exist? What's it trying to promote or protect us from? And then I think you ask yourself if that rule makes sense in your context. So with your community, in your time, and in your place. Because again, context always matters. And if it does, great, follow that rule. If it doesn't, then create your own guiding principles that address that deeper intent. They get to, say, the public trust or building a relationship or having a productive meeting. But honor that your organization is unique and that your mission has its own needs. You may not end up creating hard and fast rules either, but you may create these guidelines that prompt the important discussion that you and your board need to be having if you're going to break a rule. I think that's great. And I think the other piece that I would add is look for guidance on how to work or how to move forward outside of the nonprofit sector. There's so many interesting ways that people organize themselves and move forward as a society or a community. And the solutions may be outside of the so-called nonprofit experts, and they may be found in cultures far, far away from your community. Good point. What's our word of the week? Ah, well, I think our word of the week should be rule. And I will admit that I went to the trustee dictionary yet again, and I was surprised to find that in the Merriam-Webster dictionary that I have at my house, the third definition of rule was a piece of advice about the best way to do something. Hmm. It's like, now, wait a minute. I think of a rule as something you have to do, like a law, but it is also often just a piece of advice. And the rules that we've been talking about today fit that, right? 20% overhead, seven contacts, Robert's Rules of Order, just pieces of advice, actually, to to help do something. And so as with any advice, (laughs) you have to take it in, think about it, rub your hands on it, make it fit you and your context. So I think I'm going to start this year off thinking about so many of the nonprofit rules out there as just a piece of advice, not the liquor laws and having turned into 990 and some of those other ones, but a lot of the quote unquote rules uh, that we hear is their advice and it's okay. And in fact, my job to think about whether I take that advice and how I use it. Interesting. So I also went to the dictionary, but in this case, I went to our big, heavy Oxford dictionary to get the origins of the word mm. and, and rule originated as I think French or something like that for straight stick. And, and out of that comes ruler. So the usually man in charge would carry around this stick. Then we know ruler, like a straight device to measure. 
And it is true that with rule and ruler, both, both meanings of ruler, I get the emotion of rigid, direct, correct, you know, very straight, very conforming. And those are all of the things that we don't often experience in the nonprofit space. We don't want to necessarily feel strict, straight, conformed, rigid. Those aren't, you know, those aren't true to our experiences. So as we now proactively expand kind of who is coming together to make decisions, how we look at problems and solutions, now is a great time to rethink those rules that limit us. Hmm. So good. And that is a fascinating way to think about rules and rulers. <laughs> mm-hmm. So sometimes there are rules you just have to follow. Laws, basic human rights, things that ethically and morally, you know, you just can't ignore. But in so much of the nonprofit guidance and literature that I've seen out there, you'll hear a lot of other quote unquote rules, rules that are really just pieces of advice. You and your board and your staff know your mission and your community well, and you need to use that collective wisdom and diverse perspectives to interpret those kinds of rules and decide which ones fit your mission and organization and which ones just don't. It's okay to break those rules as long as you know why and what you're going to offer instead. You've got this. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Radio Show. If you like what you heard on today's episode, please consider sharing the podcast and rating us on your favorite podcast site. Your support is the best way for us to reach more people. We invite you to look at the show notes at nonprofitradioshow.com for ideas on how to bring these conversations into your organization or to tell us what you'd like to hear next. Nonprofit Radio Show is produced by Nancy Bacon and Sarah Brooks. Editing and post-production are provided by Margaret Mep Schulte of Three Choices Creative Communications. Music is by Riley Crabtree. Together, we are inspired by you and other nonprofit leaders doing important work in our communities.